Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome those of you watching online as well as we are in the middle of a series called For the Win. And if you weren't with us last week, uh, we talked about For the Win in our faith and what that means and some practical steps uh, that we can take in the midst of that. If you didn't get a chance to be here, hope that you listen uh, online. Today, I want to look at an area where a lot of people, even a lot of Christ followers, would have a wall of separation between this area of their life and what they would call their faith life. And that's how to win at work. And so we're going to really make a case biblically for God wanting to be involved in that. But as I talk about that, I know that some of you are feeling like, hey, you know, right now, how can I feel like I want to win at work? Uh, when I don't even like my job. And so I have some pictures to make you feel better about your job. Uh, This one right there. Yeah, some of you are saying, there goes my lunch. Uh, And and here's someone who's cleaning the teeth of an alligator. Now this one, I, I don't know, if you hold the target. And of course... The ice cream cone. You know, it's sort of funny as we look at our our job, oftentimes we think is uh, what that job that we have is going to determine our happiness in it. And there's part of that. But it's also what we bring to it. We are wired for work. In fact, early in the Bible, in Genesis 2, it's not in your outline, but it is in the Bible, uh, and it'll be up on the screen. We see the first man and the first woman. Uh, look at what God does is, is he gives Adam an assignment. He says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And I have two daughters. Uh, one graduated from college. One's a, a junior at Washington State University, uh, which, yeah, okay, you can uh, cheer there. They won the Alamo Bowl. That was awesome. Uh, And uh, so uh, in that, I always point out to them a theological truth. Here's the theological truth. First, God gave Adam a job. Then he got the wife. Job first. Wife second. Job, wife. No job, no wife. And so, uh, so that's just my dad. I'm speaking as a dad there. Uh, but I am speaking from the Scripture. So uh, Ecclesiastes 3.13, the wisest man who ever lived uh, said this. When he's talking about happiness and satisfaction, he says that each of them uh, may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift from God. He, it, now, it's interesting, uh, we're, we're fine with the eat and drink part, right? But find satisfaction in their toil. Well, why? this is a third of your waking life is spent at work. Now, you might be a student, that's your work right now. I remind my daughter in college, her job is to go to school. 
every time we pay the tuition. And so uh, we have these assignments, and we're to find some satisfaction in that. And then we read in Colossians 3.23, it says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Now, the interesting thing about this, too, you'd, some people would say, oh, this is talking about ministry. Uh, actually, it's not. It's talking about every aspect of our life that we're working as we're working for the Lord, even as we're in our everyday work, uh, work-a-day life. And you might say, okay, that's great. I, I, I know I'm supposed to feel that way, or it's, it's an assignment, but I, I, I feel sometimes like I'm losing at work, that I'm not winning. We're talking about for the win. Uh, and why can we feel that way? Well, one of the reasons you're first filling is you can just have a bad fit. There are some jobs that you are not wired for. Do you know that? I remember even in school, uh, took calculus. Uh, by the way, math, I did really well early on, and then once they introduced the alphabet, lost me completely. So they, uh, uh, and I took a calculus class. My professor said, I'm going to do you a favor and give you some advice. It should end right here. And it did. And I, I just said, okay, I'm not going to probably do a job that requires that. Uh, when I was working at the uh, Pancake House in Tacoma, uh, right on South Tacoma Way, right, right off South Tacoma Way. Uh, I had a storied career. Before I worked there, I had been a rock picker-upper at an apartment complex, and then I had been a mobile home washer. And then finally, I got promoted. I was a dishwasher at the Pancake House. And the head dishwasher came to me, and he was not very happy with me. And he said, you know what? You're just not cut out to be a dishwasher. And I'm not to the glory of God. That's awesome. Uh, so there, it just was something I was not particularly good at. And there's something, here's what I wanted to say right, there's, right off, there's something that you're wired for. And you're going to know that because not only will you recognize it, but other people will recognize it as well. So we're, we can be in a, a bad fit. And we, we have a lot of people, a lot of people, maybe their first job, who are here, a lot more uh, 20-somethings that are attending our campuses. And here, here's the difference is you have to understand when you get your first job the difference between a bad fit and something called adulting. You know what adulting is? It means that there's all these unreasonable expectations like showing up at a certain time, like filling out paperwork, like a boss that'll have review and goals and all of that. That's just called having a job. And so, uh, if you're making that transition, that's okay. I know that can feel difficult. But no, that's, that part of that's a transition. It's not necessarily the job. And if every job you have is a bad fit, then that probably says there's something that needs to happen, just how you approach work. Second, there's difficult people. Have you ever worked with anyone who's a little difficult? Yeah, everyone laughs at this one, right? Uh, but yeah, there's... There can be people who can be so difficult that it makes us not like our job. I mean, maybe this can happen uh, with a boss. It can happen uh, with an employee. I know some of you are doing annual reviews, and you're like, I don't want to perform an annual review on that employee. I want to perform an exorcism. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, because it, and we can feel that way in difficult people. Now, uh, someone who's wise will understand where we can be difficult too. In fact, the person who, who always sees other people as difficult people and never themselves, 
that's, that's, you're probably not going to do as well as you could, and maybe not well at all, when it comes to your career. There's also a low reward drop. Uh, and not necessarily low pay, that can be it uh, as well. But where we're not recognized for what we bring to the table necessarily. And so it's important that we understand uh, that uh, what motivates us and what motivates those who work for us uh, as well. I had a buddy of mine, he runs a company, increased sales like 500%. And uh, he was asking, just not even for more money, just for a little bit of help because of the workload. And they kept on saying no. And the interesting thing is, if you're good at your job, uh, there's these things called headhunters. And they come and offer you jobs with more money. And that's what happened to him because his employer didn't see what he, he was really not asking for much, but just needed a little bit of help. And so we can be in that place where it's uh, low reward with recognition, with compensation, with assistance that we need. There's areas of our, our job should work for us in our, uh, in, in our, with our family, as we prepare for our future, uh, financially, there should also be a fit with the skills. And sometimes we don't even need to change jobs for that to work, we just need an honest conversation with uh, our supervisor or our employer. Now, if you don't have that honest conversation, I just got to say this, it's on you. And I know there may be reasons you don't have that, but it's a lot easier to find satisfaction in your current position just by having this honest conversation. There's also unrealistic expectations that we are expecting too much out of our job, that our job should provide everything. Well, when, at church, you know, we uh, have multiple services and campuses and organizations affiliated. And I always tell people that I want them to really feel like they are in the groove and have a fit at least 80% of the time. That 80% of the time they're doing what they love. And you might say, do you want them to be miserable 20% of the time? No. But the truth is, there are things about your job that you just got to do because it's your job, right? Even me, I have a great job pastoring you people. And, but, 20% uh, of the times there's things I don't necessarily like, but come with a role of, of, of leading an organization. Now, the fifth one is one that you wouldn't think about, but it really is significant. Uh, if, if you're not a Christ follower, uh, everything will apply today. This one may be a little less so, but you can think of it in terms of uh, congruence psychologically, where you're uh, what you think, what you say you believe is, lines up. But as a Christ follower, it's a compromised faith where we uh, sort of feel like we have to compromise our faith for our job. And here's what I would say, though, is that uh, you don't really need to do that. You might think that you need to do that, but, but you can honor God no matter what you do. Almost any profession, there's probably a few, uh, but you can honor God. There's a, a friend of mine, he went to the church I pastored down in San Diego, uh, and uh, he had moved from the Middle East, and uh, he was, you know, looking for a job. He was an immigrant from the Middle East, and uh, so one of the places he could find a job was at a casino. And, uh, you know, and he had become a, a, a 
a pretty committed Christ follower, and, and some of you are saying, how can a Christ follower work at a casino? Others of you are thinking, hey, I'm going to the casino after church. Why don't you mention it? So the, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, but he came, most people assumed he was Muslim because he's Arab, and he, uh, uh, but he really got, become passionate, started to become passionate about his faith at a casino. And so what he would do, people were, didn't want to talk to him about his faith because, you know, they sort of assumed some, some things about him. And he started not only sharing his faith, he started praying for people at the casino. Which, by the way, there's probably more prayer that goes on at a casino than there is in a church. Uh, you know? I mean, I think the name of Jesus is mentioned more there than in our lobby. Oh, Lord Jesus, number seven. You know, uh, I know you. Anyway, uh, so, so he was there, and he started leading Bible studies with these, with these casino workers, and uh, he did well. He got promoted, actually, to a fairly significant, well-compensated uh, position. I think he made like $100,000 a year, and I don't know how many chips. So, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, uh, he, he had this position, uh, but he also had this ministry, and now... Uh, he leads a congregation of uh, Arab Christians in San Diego County. So you say, you know, I can't honor God at, you know, at my at Boeing or my tech company. Here's a guy who created a church out of a casino. See, God can, we can honor God almost any place. And here's the question, isn't it? How can I succeed and at work and honor God. And I would say that succeeding at work is part of honoring God. And, and as I've said before, I'm not one of these guys who believe, you know, make Jesus your choice. You'll drive a Rolls Royce. It'll be awesome. Uh, but, I, but what I do believe is our witness is in our work as well. And, and if you're here and you say, man, I don't even believe in Jesus, the principles you're going to learn are powerful. You might say, well, I'm, I'm retired. Well, one, that's awesome for you. Two, retirement is not a biblical concept. God still has an assignment for you. In fact, if you're heading into retirement, you're really in danger. A lot of people face problems, uh, you know, emotionally, maritally, when they head into retirement because we're wired for this work. Well, Daniel, we haven't gone to the book of Daniel for a few years now, but I want to go back there and uh, give you a little context to the book of Daniel. Daniel, if it was written chronologically, the Old Testament is not chronological in terms of the books. Uh, the early ones are, but not the later ones. It would actually come a little bit later in the Old Testament. It was written around 600 B.C., and it's really the account of the nation of Israel as it had gone into captivity into Babylon. They had walked away from God, said, God, we don't need you. And God said, okay, let's see how that works out for you. And the Babylonians come in and they take over. The first part is history. The second part is prophecy in the book of Daniel. And uh, there's one main character in the book of Daniel. You want to take a guess at what his name is? Yep, you got it, Daniel. And uh, Daniel's a great guy. And he had come from the aristocracy, or at least a child of the aristocracy, in the nation of Israel. And this is where we pick it up. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring, the king's, uh, bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and 
nobility. So we see he's one of those that he, they brought in. And then as we look at our next verse, we see that there's this training program they embark on. He was to teach them, this is uh, one of the king's officials, the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from the tribe of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief uh, official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belt. Chazar. And so uh, he's, he's actually given a pagan name. And, and it's interesting, in Daniel he faces all sorts of conflict uh, that happens. Uh, it, there's this pagan culture, a lot of the, the food that he's offered is was sacrificed to pagan idols. And so how does he honor God without compromising his faith and how does he find success in his workplace? We really get a case study of someone who did it right. Uh, and I think it's so perfect for us because here's someone uh, who is actually literally in an environment where people are worshiping other gods, yet he is honoring God and finding success in the middle of that. What are the, what's the first thing we, we see about him, what he did, uh, what he embodied? One was excellence. He was really good at what he did. It's very important if we're going to talk about Jesus, we want to make sure, not that we have to be the best in the world at our job to talk about our faith, but we want to let people know that we bring value to uh, the company, to the organization that we're in. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. it says, Do you see someone skilled at their work? They will serve before kings. If you're great at your job, you will find success. There may be times where you're in a bad fit with a bad company, but most of the times it will be recognized and rewarded uh, in, in your life. And we certainly find that uh, with Daniel. It says the king uh, placed Daniel in a high position. And then after he's in this position, he does really well. And then he gets a subsequent promotion, as we see in the next verse. It says he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. He did a great job, and so he was recognized. A part of this had to do with his integrity. Now, you, you might think of this and say, what does integrity have to do with my performance? It has to do with people being able to trust you. Uh, the truth is, people don't like to promote untrustworthy people. Isn't that odd? Yeah, even people who don't believe in Jesus don't like that. If they feel like you're trustworthy, then, and it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that you live a life that's congruent. Daniel did this. It said, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Well, why would that be a problem? It was food and wine that was sacrificed to pagan idols. Now, we'll see that he doesn't cause a stink. He doesn't, you know, go on social media and post about it. What he does is he comes up with an intelligent, adult, spiritual solution. And that's what I think we see. Uh, I had a buddy of mine, I've shared this story before, uh, he worked at a car dealership. 
And uh, as he worked at a car dealership, he was in the middle of this sale. Uh, his boss told him to say something that was not true. I know that's hard to believe that would ever happen at a car dealership, right? And so uh, he said, no, I really can't do that. His boss had some choice words for him uh, and was not happy. Ended up making the sale anyway. Well, a couple weeks later, he gets pulled in the office, thinks he's going to get fired. And uh, his boss says, hey, uh, one of the managers qu quit. I'm going to promote you to sales manager. He's like, what? He goes, yeah, you're the only one I can trust around this place. And uh, why? Because that is important. Now, sometimes it'll cost you, but oftentimes not. See, we, we sometimes live this life, you know, what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon, right? And God wants us to live differently. I haven't traveled much for the last little season, and I did this last week, and God always gives me a great story when I do, so I appreciate that. And uh, I was uh, traveling, working back. I'd been working with a, a church and traveling back to Seattle, and uh, was sitting next to a lady uh, on the plane. Actually, there was a seat in between us, and that was awesome. And uh, she was nervous. She was saying, hey, I'm a little nervous when I fly, so I drink a little wine, and then she drank a little more. Anyway, but she was enjoying the flight, uh, that part of it, and she started telling me a little bit about her life, going to hang out with a friend. She'd been through a second divorce, and there'd been some uh, difficulty in that. And so we're, we're in flight, and uh, she's doing her thing, and then I'm reading on my phone my uh, Bible, and she looked over and she saw that, and she said, are you a Christian? And I said, yep, I definitely uh, am one of those. She goes, she said, do you go to a church? And I said, yeah, I, I, pretty much every Sunday I try to show up. Uh, and uh, she, I, I didn't want to tell her I was a pastor, but she, uh, her follow-up qu question is, is it a good one? I said, well, in my opinion, there's none better. There really isn't. So, uh, and this is, she keeps on probing. And she goes, well, do you serve there? Are you involved? I said, yeah, you could say I sort of make it almost my whole life. And uh, so we're, she's going on, and we're, then she tells me a little bit about not only her church experience, but then, you know, sort of some religious stuff. And I'm sure religion, there's a difference between deep, faithful following of Jesus Christ, which I hope you get here, and some of the religious trappings, she was talking a little bit about that, but everyone, you know, you have your own thing. And so, so she was uh, talking about that, and then uh, she said, well, what, and I started to talk about my wife, because whenever I'm sitting next to a lady on the plane, I try to mention my wife every 90 seconds or less. And so, uh, you know, so uh, some of you are saying, Ben, what are you worried about? <laughs> uh, but... So, uh, so, so she's, uh, she said, well, do you guys get much time together? I go, yeah, and, and, but we're, we're going to plan a vacation. And uh, she said, where do you want to go? I said, well, we'd really like to go to Cabo. It's been, it's been like seven or eight years uh, since we've been to Cabo. We've only been there once, but we had a great time. And she goes, Cabo? I love Cabo. She goes, and I have a good time when I go to Cabo. She said, I take my daughters down, and I said, hey, it is all church and Jesus on Sunday, girls, but what happens in Cabo stays in Cabo. And it's at that point I told her I was a pastor. <laughs> God gave me the perfect opportunity. <laughs> now I'm having a little bit of fun, although that was a real conversation I did have. Uh, but what's an area where you say, oh, no, God would have no part of this. 
what if we invited Jesus into every aspect? And you might say, well, you can't be successful and do that. You're wrong. I know business owners, top C-suite executives in big companies who have found success, and they've had to work around some things, but have not denied their faith. In fact, they've integrated their faith in Jesus Christ. So where is that? Where can we show integrity in our life? And then also, number three, you need to play nice at work. And the temptation is to not play nice. And we've all, we've all been that person. Uh, there's a book called High Maintenance Relationships. And the author describes the kind of relationships that can drain us. And this would be true at work as well. Uh, the critic, complaining, nagging, giving unwanted advice. The martyr, always racked with self-pity. No one notices what I do. They always feel unappreciated. And uh, something tends to be upsetting them all the time. Um, and that's the kind of person who you never ask, how was your weekend? <laughs> so uh, there, there's the wet blanket, pessimistic, automatically negative. Superstar, always have to be the center of attention. The green-eyed monster, they seethe with envy. The sponge, they suck up the emotional energy in the room. And, and the truth is, if you're honest, you're not only identifying those people, but you know, hey, I can sometimes be uh, that, you know what, sometimes I can be that green-eyed monster. Sometimes I can be that martyr. And I think part of maturity is understanding those areas where maybe I haven't played nice in the past and I want to play nice in the future. And do you know that there can be a sea change in your work environment? You say, oh, my, re my environment's negative. Why don't you change it? Why don't you be the one who changes it? Well, it's someone else's job. Actually, no, Jesus gave you that job. That you would be salt and light. That you would start to change. And some of you, I get it, you've been hurt and treated unfairly. But here's the truth. You either need to quit your job or change how you engage. Because going around being pessimistic, your boss isn't going to say, you know what, I was wrong. And this person is so negative, I need to apologize, give them a pay raise and a promotion. Never going to happen. Life can be unfair. We can make mistakes. And so what maturity is, is saying, you know what, I don't want to operate that way. I want to, I want to show up as a new person to work. I don't want to be a victim, or I don't want to be angry, or I don't want to be that anymore. And God, you know what God gives us when we do that? Greater peace, and greater joy, and greater success. Daniel 1.8 uh, it says, he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way when it came to the food sacrificed to idols. Again, he didn't make a big stink about it. He said, hey, what if I tried something different for me and it won't affect you? You know what he sought out? The win-win. And so we get the example of how am I seeking out the win-win in my relationships? And if you say, I don't believe in a win-win, well, your God is not very big then. God can, even out of the worst situations, bring reconciliation, bring hope. And sometimes you're a leader, you've been promoted in an organization, you're managing maybe at a different level than you've ever led before. 
And that learning to create that atmosphere is the hardest thing to do, but it's one of the most powerful things you can do. That leads to number four, mission. How we win at work is understanding that we have a mission, yes, to make money. Yes, to, in fact, I've said this. I, I hope as Christ followers, you work hard, you find a job, you find success, you get pay raises and promoted and do well. But your mission is even bigger than that. And we see this with Daniel, is that Daniel, as he honored God, as he found success, and by the way, he had his critics along the way. He had his naysayers. He had the people who tried to really go after him. But then the king recognizes at one point just how different Daniel is. And, and look at this. He says, I issue a, a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. Ephesians 5.15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. A third of your life is going to be spent in the workplace. It can, be a it can be something that brings you joy. It can be a place where you can go and you can honor God. In fact, some of you, you're in a job you don't like. Is organization's not very good that you work with. And have you ever considered that maybe the only reason you're there is there are some people who wouldn't know that there's hope and there's healing and there's a better way to go in their life if you weren't there bringing hope? Maybe it's not about you and you say, I, I just want to bring the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Four practical ways as we close out, and they're not fill-ins, but you can write them to the side. First thing is... Uh, work groups. You'll notice on the connection card it says work groups. We have some at the different large corporations in the area, uh, other ones where you get together with like-minded people and you for support. It's not a holy huddle, but it's, hey, how can I be different? Growth groups, I hope you're in some growth group. Uh, you sign up for one of those uh, this weekend or this week. But it's a way where we can move forward in our faith. Another thing we can do is to mentor. If you're mid-career or late career and you found a little success, do you know that there's people who would love your input? And as you just share your life, they'll be interested in your faith. You don't need to preach a sermon or bring out a Bible. They want a mentor. One of the things I love about millennial generation and younger is they see the need for mentors, and I think that's why so many of them find some great success. Also, uh, and this one is a, doesn't seem like it's related, as you think about the biblical command around baptism. Now, if you're a believer and not yet been baptized, the Bible actually never suggests to be baptized. It's a command to be baptized, that when we believe, we, we signify that belief by being baptized. Now, you might have been baptized as a child. That's about your parents' faith. But in, in the Bible, it talks about a baptism where we believe and we identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, uh, we have one of those February 10th. Hope you'll do it. But here's the cool thing about that. I don't know why it is. I don't even get it. But people who, like, don't believe in God or maybe they're a Hindu or Buddhist or whatever their ism is, they'll come watch you be baptized because they know that's sort of a big deal. Uh, 
And I know the first thing you're asking, okay, if I bring my friend on Baptism Sunday, what are you preaching on? I'm going to preach on money that week. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, uh, no, I know this is a big moment. And it's not only about you taking a step, it's about people seeing that. You know what else is sort of the cool thing about being baptized? You're admitting you don't have it all together. Say, I need a fresh start in Jesus. Man, people love that authenticity. I know I do. And then, uh, fourth, in two weeks, uh, we're starting a marriage series. And uh, for, you know, people who are married or if you're going to be married, in fact, that uh, probably especially for you, everybody needs help in their marriage relationship. Everyone wants to be better. Some of us need help right now. And there are, they may not believe in God or Jesus, but they'll say, hey, you know what? I would come to a place if I could get some practical tools and how to grow. See, my goal is that not only you'll find satisfaction and success in your work, but you'll find God's mission for you. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. 